Welcome, welcome, welcome back, film fans. This is Beer, Bourbon, and a Movie. I'm Tawana. And I'm Vaughn. And we're two filmmaking cinephiles dedicated to the art of film, the taste of a good beverage, and everything in between. We're glad you're back, people. So grab a seat, film fans, beer drinkers, and bourbon lovers alike. This is episode 32. Oh, yeah. So this week we're going to be talking about our favorite fall movies, or our favorite horror movies, I should say, as the beginning of fall kicks in. Uh, it's going to be The Nun, and Tawana and I are going to talk about our favorites. Tawana, what are we going to sip on today? Well, seeing as how we jumped into the fall, quite literally in New York City, uh, where it was like 50-something degrees last night, and then I was sweating walking here, so I don't even know. But but anyway, since New York is firmly, firmly placed in fall, it's time to move on to some fall beverages. Uh, I myself, last year, did this whole thing with pumpkin. Yeah, are you over it now? No, because I'm going to do pumpkin again, but just not for like seven weeks. Okay. I'm going to mix it up with fall beers and pumpkin beers. Okay. So we're going to start off with... uh, Because you pumpkin me out last year, by the way. I might have pumpkin myself out last year. it was a little much. (laughs) But anyway. Just saying. Before you get into the beer, can I just mention that I'm back? Oh, oh, welcome back, Alex. Alex. I mean, you know. Hey, (laughs) listeners. I know you've missed my sultry voice. Yes. Sharp wit. And shot. shit talking rabble rounds. That's right. Yes, yeah. <laughs> it's very true. Welcome back, Alex. Thank you. Now, so, I'm unfortunately not drinking today, but I'm high on paint fumes because I'm doing a little work in the office today. So I'll be, I'll be in and out today, guys. Nice, right. nice. No worries, no worries. We're glad you're here, though, Alex. We're glad Yay. you're here, actually. We missed you. Someone did ask me at work. They said, um, what happened to the, uh, the New Zealand guy? Fire that motherfucker. He's not doing it anymore? Mm-hmm. I was like, no, he had like things to do. Hashtag so, deport Alex. And, and, and <laughs> oh, folks, God. Alex did see The Nun with me uh, this week, too. So I did? We, we, he, he actually had a point of view, too. So I liked the movie, but I didn't like the experience. Because yeah. I'm not a fucking horror guy. <laughs> yeah, he's not a horror guy. But we'll, we'll talk about the nun later. We'll talk about the nun later. So what are, sure. we, what are you drinking today, All right, so, so like I said, I'm not going to jump in and out. Of, I'm not going to have pumpkin and, and completely ruin it for everyone, um, including myself. This time, I'm going to mix it up with just some fall or sort of fall-esque type um, recipes mm-hmm. in addition to the famous pumpkin. Got it. I'm going to find some, some other pumpkins that I'm interested in. Uh, and just put them up just because I'm interested in it. And also, I want to find some new fall beers. Gotcha. So one of one of the most interesting ones that I recently discovered, um, I believe it's fairly new, uh, is Harpoon Brewery. You know, the employee-owned yes. um, company out of Boston, Mass., and Windsor, Vermont, um, has a new fall seasonal beer. I believe it's new because I've never seen it before. But, I mean, I could be wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong, film fans. Okay. Anyway, it's called Flannel Friday, complete with its own flannel design all over the box. Wow. (laughs) Completely there. Um, What it is is on the the cover it says it's a hoppy, malty, crisp amber ale. And that it is in in its entirety. I mean, it's, it's supposed to be 
this multi sweet balance with this hoppy citrus uh, notes in this amber ale. And I mean, I like a good amber ale because, you know, I'm a big fan of the malts. And I, I'm not really a fan of the IPAs, but I try to dabble in them. Got it. Got um, it. So I gave it a shot because I do like Harpoon. Uh, they make a good wheat. Good, okay. A good uh, Hefeweizen, which we will be jumping back into. Uh, also something I overdo. But <laughs> yeah, no problem with that. But anyway, so anyway, so this was pretty tasty. It is very, um, it is very crisp. Uh, you immediately taste the hops, but it's not overpowering, and it's probably mostly, like they said, due to the uh, the multi sweetness that balances it all out. So I mean, I like it, and it seems to be a perfect layer for the fall season. So uh, it was really easy to find. I found it at Whole Foods. For ten ninety nine. Now I know Whole Foods gets a little bit of crap for a variety of reasons, <laughs> most right. mainly the price. Uh, but uh, recently I've been finding that they've been fairly reasonable, especially when they come out with something new, like it's a, a, a new. So it's fall season, right? So all the new fall beers, like Oktoberfest, okay, uh, saison stuff like that, are going to be out there. Okay. Um, and so when you go in, you'll be able to find like pretty good deals because they want you to drink the new stuff. Right. So like for instance, the six packs was ten ninety nine. Oh, that's a good deal. Mm, very good deal, you know. So no, I hear you. Anyway, what were you drinking? Buddy? Well, for me, I, I brought back an old favorite. I brought back Old Forester because um, it's fall, and I and one you were talking about, you need a little hot toddy because Tawana's been dealing with a cold. So yes. Uh, so if you notice, I sound a little Demi Moorish. Yeah. So so. I brought back Old Forester because I want to mix Old Forester. When I went in the photo that you're going to see online, you're going to see it neat with, uh, well, actually with a, with, with a ball of ice. But uh, I'm also going to mix it with some apple cider to have like a an apple jack because I feel like also that's a good fall. way to kick in the fall. Big fall. Because apples are in season and it's time to go apple picking if you haven't so done cider. it already. So <laughs> this is the time to start kicking in on the cider stuff. This is the time. And Old Forester, you know, it's, it's one of the first, it, this batch is from you know the the company's from 1870 it's a louisville kentucky favorite no standby and it's uh 86 proof and it's delicious all the time right and it's actually the first bottled bourbon in america that's right we um when we put uh put it up on the site put it up on the instagram yeah uh, Foster, Old Foster said cheers to us. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's been around forever, and it's very good. It's, it's, and you can mix it with so many things. There's so many cocktails you can make with it. You know, I definitely recommend it, and I'll uh, put a link to the website online so you can uh, take a look at their punches, and they have a julep recipe, and they also do it with a little sparkling, uh, like a sparkling champagne or wine, right. which is always good, along with the, you know, the classic... You know, Manhattans and, and old fashions, you can always do those. Sure. But like I said, there's so many drinks. And then they have a whole winter warmers section. So that, that's something to think about as we move into the fall and winter months. That sounds pretty good. Yeah. And they have something they do with a beer cider. Right. So I, I definitely recommend Old Foresters. They do something with a beer cider. Yeah, they have a beer cider recipe too. I'll, I'll post some of those things for oh, folks to I see. Oh, I definitely want to see that. Yeah, yeah. Where it's at. Yeah, so let's uh, let's jump into these movies. Let's talk about The Nun. All right, so let's jump into The Nun. So The Nun is about a priest with a haunted past and a novice on the threshold of her final vows are sent by the Vatican 
to investigate the death of a young man, I'm sorry, of a young nun in Romania mm-hmm. and confronted by a malevolent uh, spirit in the form of a demonic nun. Yes, that's definitely the, the truth. Yes, <laughs> so um, starring, first off, just would like to mention, um, I think you pronounce her name Tazia, Tasa. Tasa, maybe. Tasa Farmiga. Mm-hmm. It's Vera Farmiga's sister. Yes. Who normally plays... The the ghost investigator in the, the original. The original... That normally plays uh, uh, the, the better half of the of the, the team from The Conjuring. Um, so anyway, so she plays... She plays a younger version of her. Mm-hmm. And it's, fairly, it's really interesting. I thought that it was um it had very strong performances very spooky gra- uh gothic atmospherics yes for hella sure. jump scares i thought it delivered what it promised and sort of ties it all in at the end i like the the sound and the, the music mix was great the sound mix right. was good the, the sound mix was great they they did so many little things with sound as as a as a, almost like a, another character in the show in the movie of because there was times when she would, they would all hear things and they would hear right. voices, and then the music would would change and shift and, right. and, and put you in this really moody, dark place, and and it was just it just kind of added to the the element of fright f- for it because there was a lot of times when you know, and this is one thing that The Conjuring is good for, like you know they do a lot of maison sin where there's a lot of things happening within the frame that are oh, not necessarily in the main part of the action, but there'll be something happening behind the character that the character doesn't see, but we see it in almost like a flash right? or like a, like a brief moment. And it's like, what was that? And you know, and you, and it, it kind of catches you off guard. And because I saw this movie twice in the last two weeks, right. I feel As like, I. <laughs> I feel like I, I saw this time I got to see when I saw it with Alex this week, I got to see more detail than I missed the first time in just viewing it as for the shock value, you know, right. as for for the horror movie itself. So I, I, it's just one of my favorites because I, I like The Conjuring, and I'm not really like anybody that knows me knows that I like I like a certain kind of horror movie. I like thrillers, I like vampire movies, I like witch movies, I like zombie flicks, but I I'm not a big fan of the slasher, saw, yeah, hostel, like, and all those kind of you don't like the gory one, gory things. But these kind of movies I like, and I've seen every movie in the Conjurer series, and I thought yeah, that this was a great prequel good. because yeah. they've been talking about yeah, this nun. Yeah, it winds up being a prequel. Right. We've been talking about this nun since the very beginning. Yeah. She's of, been of haunted this, by yeah. it. Yeah. So it's like, okay, we we as fans of the of the, of of the, the Conjuring series, of the Conjuring series right. have been waiting on the nun, you know, because right. we saw Annabelle. We've seen different little pieces right. we've over seen time. Annabelle. So I, I think that But this it was is, specifically in the first one. It was in the one in London. Yeah. And then it was in this one. Yeah, and it was just... It's they just, just allude to it in all those. Right, and I, I like the fact that, you know, they, they captured it in a, in a special way. And to have her sister playing a younger version of her right. was just perfect casting. And, and this young lady, she's been known for her work on television in, in the American Horror Story series, yes. anthology series. And she's outstanding in that. So I knew she would be perfect for this role. And so I was, I was kind of waiting for it to happen. And I'm glad that they delivered on it. I think that it gives fans of of the series i think it gives them a good dose of 
what this should be, and I, and I think they, they didn't disappoint in that way. They didn't disappoint at all, and I think they they really kind of sort of wrap it all together. It yeah, had like, it was a great tie-in. Yeah, it had like the subtlety of finesse. It's just a, like like you said with the music, they really crafted the tension of the horror without revealing too much, and I think it just really plays on your own personal fears. Yeah, and there was so many moments when you didn't actually like you would see the nun in her habit, but you yeah. didn't necessarily see her face for a while, and it was even scarier right. in all the moments when you did not see the but face. The woman who plays the nun herself. Her name is uh, Baron Ahrens. Mm-hmm. No, I'm sorry, Bonnie Ahrens. Okay, that's her actual face. E. That's like she has that a really long nose, really deep set eyes, high high cheekbones, and really high ears. Mm-hmm. That's her actual face. Like, like there's no mistaking, <laughs> like what she looks like. Oh wow! And like it, it's almost a little creepy, and I would assume. That's not offensive because she really took that part. Yeah, she took it <laughs> and, and she she she, and she owned ran it with for it. sure. Like she was killing it. I think that uh, and you know the thing about it, and, and there's always something about when you see these kind of horror movies and, and the supernatural mm-hmm. and, and anything related to to church. It's always about Catholicism, and there's right. always you know some some devil or some demon or something that's possessing someone and and it's just it's interesting how it always kind of plays out and and you know when you think about the sacrifices that those nuns made when they were in that order and they oh, were yeah. just their whole it, mission was just to sit there and pray it, to keep the it was evil a, out also it was a cloistered order right so no men were allowed you weren't allowed to disrupt them yeah and they just had to pray all the time and it was just like what kind of shitty life could this be that this is this is your whole mission in life dedicated to and i'm just like this is horrible. I would actually like. Where is the devil? I need some fun to happen up in here because it it just seems like the most the the most it's the awful place to be. But you know what? I can, I appreciate the devotion and I, and I love how as the story unfolded, you know the young character she had to she had to finally realize that okay because she hadn't taken her vows yet right so she, she was, had to get to a place where she knew she that was like, yeah. she was going to be the person to make the change and right. and she was very strong she wasn't she wasn't fearful of it right. she just kind of jumped into it I I love the the comic relief that we got from the the, the Frenchie who, who the guy Frenchie. who played Frenchie yeah. he was really he was perfect for this because he didn't he wasn't over the top. He was just kind of, he had little subtle Jonas lines. Jonas Bloquette is his name. Jonas, he, he did a really good job, I thought. And, and Yeah, he did. And, you know, it, it, it was just something, there was like, initially it had these almost sexual overtones, like right. he was making toward her. And then when he realized that she was serious about her her role as being a nun, he, he backed off. He even realized she was a nun. He was like, oh. Right, you know, he was he was respectful of her. and But it was cute because she, you know, being that she was kind of living in a, in a, in a monastery, at growing up in in one of those, she just didn't really get that kind of exposure to men. Right, right. So I thought they they played that off really well, and there were moments of laughter in the film that you didn't really expect right. in the beginning. And so I thought, okay, well this is cool because they they made it approachable right. from a horror movie standard where you don't always see that. Yeah. And I thought, okay, well th- this is cool. And I liked the father who came, you know, the the priest. You know, I, I liked yeah, his his Father energy. Burke. Yeah, I liked his energy Damian too. Damien Bisher. Mm-hmm. He was. I thought he was good too. So there was. There was just some good. There was some good moments, and and then there was some really frightful. 
There's a lot of scenes. frightful scenes in it that really just like the snakes and that little boy and it, there was just a lot the, of little the things. The cemetery going on. was really creepy. Yeah. Like being buried alive is a creepy fucking. Yeah, that's everybody's nightmare. I think it. Uh, that's what know, this movie does but well. Walking around in the darkness, there was a lot of that. Yeah. There was a lot of bravery around walking around like in the darkness, in sort of mazes, unknown, like yeah. sleeping in Down in catacombs and right. yeah. sleeping in environments you've never been to before. Just right. like weird ass convent cloistered. She had to go into the cloistered convent by herself because what men are not allowed. Right. And so then there was a whole new journey for her. Yeah, it, there was a lot. And so there was a lot happening. And then there was, there was all these like all these dark hallways and, and, and catacombs and the, those rooms where it was all stark. It'd be like a bed and a cross and that would be it. It's and just... it, it also played on your your perception a lot. Yeah. When Where you would think, which I'm going to talk about a little when we discuss my favorite, The Shining. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kubrick did the same thing. Played with your emotions and your sense of 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 reality a great deal your perception was totally off because you would think you're in one place or you would think you'd be looking at something and then something else would occur right and so it was really like you were on this journey with the characters to figure out exactly where you were and mm-hmm. how they were going to do the things they needed to do in order to stop the nun yeah it was you know i think that I think that as this series, because I'm sure there's going to be another one. I'm hoping there will be more. I'm sure there'll be more Conjuring, and and I just think that it's it's interesting how they always find. And if you notice that the snapshots and photos of the of the nuns on the walls, mm-hmm. like they were happy, like they mm-hmm. were happy faces, they were smiling, and, and how we always see a nun in that authoritative authoritative look, right. you know, very stoic. Never really happy, you know. Yes, they're well, the I bride mean, of Christ, but they're never really shown in a way that they wouldn't frighten the shit out of you. Right. And so I think that it's it's it was interesting to see those little candid snapshots on the wall around the around the film. And if you, and it, the camera panned across them so quickly right. that you just had to really pay attention to see it. But when you did catch an image. It was like, oh, look at the nuns. They're having a good time. They're all smiling together. They're laughing and whatever they were doing. Like, yeah. And it was cool in juxtaposition, yeah. all the terror and the horror that was happening in, in, the, in yeah. the convent. So it was, just, it was yeah. great to see Once that you part. you find out what, what was really happening and the whole history of it and right. why they needed to be so much abject horror, yeah. you will understand <laughs> yeah. why this was so scary. And, I mean, I don't know. I, I I was briefly involved in Catholic school, very briefly. Mm-hmm. But my grandmother was a Catholic, and so we went to Catholic Catholic church a lot. And um, so I don't know. I, I've not had any experiences with me nuns. They've always seemed very pleasant, mm-hmm. but there's something untouchable and ethereal about them. They are the bride of of Jesus, right? right. Of God, of God's. God's brides, yes. and the so bride of Christ, the bride called. of Christ, and all that, right? So there's a whole thing, and where um, they seem very untouchable and forbidden, but yet uber helpful at the same time. So right. all that mystery, I say, in point to say that all that mystery surrounds the movie as well, where you know it's almost like taking a child and making the child a villain. No one mm-hmm. ever expects a child to be a murderer like in The Omen. Right, right. Right? Or the or uh, 
Not the grudge, the orphan. Oh, yeah, for right? sure. Right? You never just expect, or the good son. Yeah. Like, you never just expect a child to freak out and start turning into a murderer. So you really don't expect that as well from a nun. So I love how they play on your fears yeah. because you, this is a pers- supposed to be a person that's welcoming and right. helpful, and yet you right. fear her immediately. Yeah. yeah, you definitely fear her. And everything they're involved in. And, you know, I think it's interesting why, why it had to be a nun. And, you know, it's like, why, why is it a woman, you know, in, in the choice? Well, also, that's frightening as well. You know, Women because are mothers are supposed to be the caregivers. They're the nurturers. They're the all those things. And so it's right. like, okay, now she is the ultimate evil. Right. You know, and but, why would it take that form? Because it could have easily taken the form of one of the priests. But it since there have, was no priest, but in there that, were no priests at there this were no cloister. There. Uh, so because of that, every, you know, every, it, it works, and so it's like okay. But um, I, you know, like I said, I, I I'm I'm a big fan of it. I'm glad I'm a big that fan. I got to see it. And hell, yeah. I paid for it twice in New York City, which wasn't cheap. I didn't pay for it twice. So because I got AMC. I no, I'm trying. not sponsoring AM, AMC. Ain't paying us no money. We ain't got to sponsor so, it. I'm, I'm just saying. I'm know. giving I'm giving a note to film fans who want to see movies and it's too expensive, use one of these apps because they're 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 affordable and make movie going affordable. Because if you're a real movie fan, the experience is really in the theater. Yes, for sure. And so, um, yeah. It was but, it was fun to see it in the theater. To, I like to see it on the big screen. Yes. I I, I, I consider it an event when I see it in a movie theater. Mm-hmm. But I I wanted to say I really liked it. Okay. And after seeing it twice and having two completely experience, different experiences, which we'll talk about in a minute, uh, I really liked it. And I like, actually, I think it was. It, it's just great to see the Conjuring universe sort of expand. And I hope they really just keep it coming. And it just, it, it this film just sort of reminds me of this sort of like old school matinee horror, you know. Um, you go into a movie to be frightened, not to be grossed out, not to be, you know, uh, found footaged. It's 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 a little classical in that sense where they mm-hmm. play with lighting, they played with perception, they played with uh, composition, cinematography, mise en scène, like all the all the key points that makes a, a horror film a good horror. Yes, they so did I, all that for sure. I think if you like a good horror movie. Check it out. It ain't there. There's nothing wrong with it. I don't think you'd be disappointed. At I don't think all. you'd be disappointed at all. It's a good lead. It's a good lead into to where the the horror movie because this is a good time of year for 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 you to see more horror movies and and things like that. You're seeing horror on television. You're seeing horror right. in the in the in the theaters. So I think this is a great time for it, and, and you'll get you ready for Halloween for sure. Definitely get you ready for <laughs> Halloween for sure. Yeah, I was definitely, I, I was amped up for that. I was amped up for it. And we saw it in two different lights. Yeah. So if any other advice I there is that I could give is if you're, you really want to get be frightened and be scared, go see it in a quieter theater. Yeah. <laughs> um, where people are just going to like be all into the film. Or if you can handle that type of viewing, you could always head down to Harlem, <laughs> where we saw it yeah, a second sure. time. Well, I saw it a second time at Vaughn, and that 
that was just the whole talk to the screen. Oh, hell no. Yeah, it was, it was quite an adventure. <laughs> it was quite an adventure. Everybody was really, Everybody was very really loud and yelling at the screen. very animated. But at least they got into Very interactive. They also got into the fear, the fearful moments of it. So that, they that's did always too. good. Um, I was just like far more frightened when I saw it the first time in complete silence. But um, yeah, it just depends on how you like to watch a horror. Because some people think like like Halloween, I think I'm going to go see it in Harlem. Versus watching it alone, like in a quiet, because <laughs> I think it will be a more interactive experience, and people will be really cheering, or, you know, land bashing it openly. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so um, yeah, check it out if you like good horror. Let's see it. Yeah, add it to your list for add sure. Add it to your list. So Vaughn, what do you got for us? What's your fave? In talking about. As we were leading into this and, and kind of talking about the kind of movies that we like and what our favorite horror movies were, I, I've, there are several movies that, that stand out in my mind as, as, as horror movies go that kind of still scare the shit out of me today, you know, all these years later. But there are all those movies that happened, you know, not, I can't say it was my childhood because all these kind of things happened before I was even alive. But the thing about like Rosemary's Baby, Right. which came out in 1968. I always remember people talking about it. And then I would see it on television as a kid. And then a couple of years ago, I got to see it in a the theater right. for the first time. And just to see it on the big screen, just like Tawana was talking about how going to the movies is a, is a is an experience. Right. It truly was an experience to go from the small screen seeing this movie, you know, on a Sunday afternoon, you know, at my dad one time, to seeing it on a big screen the way it was meant to be seen right. you know when um roman polancy you know made the film back in the day I, I it's just one of those movies that stands out and then, and then like for for me like i had a hard time in, in choosing between psycho uh the exorcist the omen right those are all my kind of favorites in in the horror genre um but when I think about the impact of Rosemary's Baby and seeing on the screen, it always and it just stands out to me because the the whole experience, you know, it was. And if you haven't heard of it, please, please look it up. And not the remake that they made a couple of years ago. No, the not original, that one. the original with uh, Mia Farrow, directed by Rowan Polanski. This was his first Hollywood film. And and they it was it was weird how this movie came together because it was. Something that they didn't really think was going to happen because a lot of during this time there were a lot of B movies made in, in in Hollywood, especially a lot of B movie horror movie kind of films. Right. So, but they wanted to take a different spin. The book was very the book Rosemary's Baby was very successful, written by uh, Ira Levin. And so, when they decided they were going to make this film, they they picked a little known actress. She was Mia Farrow at the time. She was a star on television. She wasn't in the movies. And so this was like her first big film, right? And then they had, they brought in um, John Cassavetes, who is a independent film director, you know, mm-hmm. that's what he's known for right, now. Yeah. But his in his past as an actor, you know, he was chosen for in this role, right, but he, he actually chosen. wasn't the first choice either he wasn't. for this. He was, they actually wanted uh, Robert Redford right. in the role of the husband. Which wouldn't have been the same. It, it definitely wouldn't He's have been the same He's not that movie. dark of a guy. Yeah, it wouldn't have been the same kind of movie. And it didn't, I think you needed a dark-haired man in this right. role. 
now that we're seeing it this way. Right. But just the fact that, you know, they brought all these people together, this this little known director, this TV actress, right. these more character-driven actors. And, and Roman Pulaski, even when he was deciding who the extras were going to be in the cast, um, like Ruth Gordon and all these brilliant, brilliant supporting right. cast members, he actually sketched out what each person would look like. He didn't have a, he had an idea in his mind because he wrote this screenplay, Roman Pulaski did, right, based on the book. And so he didn't really have a clear, he wanted, in his mind, he saw what these people look like. He didn't know, and when he, upon casting, he didn't know who they were going to be, but he knew that the neighbors that lived in this apartment building where the couple moved into, he kind of knew, he kind of had a look and feel of what he wanted them to look like. And that's the beauty of directing because you can, you can create the world, the universe. And so he did that. You know, they found the, the beautiful location. I feel like it was set, it was actually shot in the Dakota, the Dakota, um, oh, the Dakota apartments Dakota. here in yeah. New York. Cause it has that, that, that look. And, um, and the thing about it, he he knew he had, they had to be, you know, very approachable because you know the basic plot line is a young couple moves into an apartment only to be surrounded by peculiar neighbors and occurrences. When the wife becomes mysteriously pregnant, paranoia paranoia right. over the safety of her unborn child becomes to control her life. So that's right. basically the, the the plot of the of the movie. I'm not going to tell you anything. This is one of those movies you totally have to experience. But they took something. They took what could have easily been campy and very B-movie-ish right. and turned it into art because there was a lot of moments where in, in Roman, Roman Polanski's vision was to make you feel like, well, one, this was part of her imagination. Was this all these things really happening to her right. or was this something that she was imagining? So you slowly got to, because she was very, she had a very childlike innocence about her. You know, and so the whole time you were like, oh, well, she's just young. She just doesn't know, you know, because she was the housewife, the the husband, um, Casavetes, he was the actor. So he was out, you know, auditioning for gigs most of the days. And so she was just kind of left by her own devices at the apartment by herself. So that's how she got to meet the neighbors. And so throughout this whole journey with her, she's slowly becoming aware that things aren't really what they seem. And, 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 you know, the way the camera angles worked in this film, there was a lot of these stark close-ups on the characters yeah. and, and just out of nowhere where you'd be almost like it was some kind of vision or some kind of, like it was almost your mind playing tricks on you. It's kind of how it was shot and kind of how that made you feel and how she kept having to drink these potions every day during her pregnancy where it's like normally you know your doctor would be like oh no don't don't do this but right, her actual right. her actual medical doctor recommended her to take these different potions and things and so it was, it was a very very deep and complex movie in that way and as it all kind of reveals itself you know you're like oh wow and, and, and what could have just been a very very simple story it has some very frightening elements I, I just I never could have imagined just the 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 orgy scene with what should have been her husband and it turns into you know what it happens right so it's just there was so much there was so much magic there and then the the when she finally figures out what's going on it's just like wow you know the, yeah it becomes a whole thing and then how she handles it and I'm not gonna tell you I wish I could tell you but I'm not gonna tell you 
how how it all rolls out but because it's something that you need to see if you have not seen it and i've actually met people recently who have not seen this there movie. are a lot of people haven't and seen it, it, it just it just it shocks me because i guess because i've always been a i've been a fan of movies and, and just have always been trying to experience them but i think that these are one of those these are some of those things that you gotta you pick up on and like i said this this was a hard choice for me because I had so many different favorites that I wanted. And I think that just the fact that it was a struggle for this movie to be made because Roman Polanski had a hard time getting the studio one to sign off on, on Mia Farrow. And then he had right. conflicts with Cassavetes because Cassavetes was... He had his own kind of vision of how the character was going to be. Of course. So they, there was always this 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 kind of battle between these men. And... and um, and then um, Ruth Gordon, who played, she was the supporting actress in the film. She was one who had been very successful in film and Broadway. She actually won a, an Oscar for this role, and she won the Golden Globe during the time. This, this movie really? had several several nominations. She had several. This film had several nominations, including Mia Farrow, but Ruth Gordon actually won. And so it was interesting to see, considering that the film really, Mia Farrow was on the screen the majority of the time. Right. There was very few scenes where she was not front and center, but Ruth Gordon and her her role in the film, which was not necessarily limited, but it was a very small piece. You know, she kind of came in, she probably did her her part in like three days. Right. And was done. And, and she ends up winning because her, her performance was just so great because it went from, oh, look at this little nice lady next door to, oh, shit, this, is she really who, she, who we think we, she right, is, right. you know? So I think that it, it was kind of cool to see that. And just all the quirky characters that were in it. Also, uh, Charles Grobin, who's you'll see in later films throughout the years, and he's a, he's a famous actor now. This was actually his first film, too. Oh, yeah. So there, there are a lot of... Um, special things about it and I think that you know it's always cool to think about well you know where did these films come from how did they get made because a lot of times we just go to the movies and we don't really think about the work that goes into them and the struggle that has to happen to make it happen you know it it just it's just kind of it's just kind of funny in fact during this time this was when Mia Farrow married Frank Sinatra so yeah this is she was getting married to him during this time and it's just like okay, <laughs> it, it's it's just one of those things. But you know, there was this always something going on. And I think that during the time when she was actually filming the movie, because her marriage to to uh, Sinatra didn't last very long. During the filming of the process, she was actually getting a divorce. You know, she got her paper sent to her on the set. Wow. So it's just there were, lot, there were a lot. There were a lot. There was a lot of good things, little wild things happening. But, you know, I, like I said, I think that it sits in that lexicon of really creepy stuff. And, you know, I think it came off the because it kind of led to all these movies that we know now, like The Exorcist and how that was about a woman and her child's struggle. And, you know, these kind of movies yeah. that led into that and they, they were kind of driven by women. Yes. You know, in in starring roles, and I think that it was it was kind of good to see that, and it, it opened that that kind of door. Especially in that time. Oh yeah, for sure. Especially you know you know you're talking the late '80s and early '70s. You just didn't see a lot of that, so it's sure. it's good to that these these people actually opened the door for that. And you know, Roman Polanski's life. 
it had a lot of pitfalls and turns. You know, his wife was Sharon Tate, who was killed by um, Charles Manson, Charles his, his crazy little, family. Little you know, they actually killed her his while cult. she was eight months pregnant with their took child. The, took the baby out. Yeah, they literally thing. cut the baby out of her. And, his, and then he got caught up in a sex scandal with a young teenage girl and ended up having to leave the country. So there were so um, many... So many, so many things that have happened, and they're still talking about that case because he still can't really come back here. He can unless he wants to be arrested. Right. So you know, um, just 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 knowing all these things, I think that it kind of adds to the the lore of the film mm -hmm. in that way, and everybody around it. So, you know, because some movies do that. You know, they have like a legacy of their own where it's yeah. like, oh, well, this happened to this character and this happened to that character. Right. And, you know, we all know Mia Farrell ended up with Woody, uh, crazy Woody Allen, Woody Allen later and, and, and all right. that, all of that stuff. But, you know, it just it just speaks to Hollywood and, and what kind of happens when you're trying to get a film made. And I, I think that all those struggling Directors, yeah. actors, producers, right. act, you know, out here trying to make these things happen. And cinematographers, is just know that your work can get done and it can get seen. Yeah. It just might take a long time and it so might be a struggle. It'll take a bit, but, but you can do it. You it's, know. it's a hustle. It's definitely a hustle. So tell us about your film favorite. Well, I, you know, I'm a big, big, big cinephile. And I'm an even bigger horror fan. I was the kid that had Freddy Krueger posters and like... All kinds of shit, just like exorcists hanging on my wall, and my mom was afraid to come into my room because she was just like, "It's just so many horror posters." Like, wow. I was a fan of Fangoria. Like, I made my own masks. It was like a whole thing for wow. me. Um, so I was a really big fan of horror, and still am. Uh, for me, I love horror because it's a really safe way to be frightened, to be scared. Mm -hmm. uh, but you won't get me into a haunted house. Save my life. Oh, you won't do that. I won't do that because that's too real. Right. I'm not sitting in a in a. You don't like theater. things jumping out at you. I don't like things touching me, and then I gotta leave because then I'm not supposed to touch them. It's a thing. Got but, it. Got it. <laughs> I don't believe in like really fleshing it out, but mm -hmm. um, but I do love a good horror. And so, with that being said, I too had a lot of films that I wanted to choose from, but when I thought about it. First instinct was to say The Shining. Mm -hmm. um, the Shining is one of my favorites for a number of reasons. But first, I'll start with uh, who it is, what it's about, the plot, and all that. So, directed by uh, Stanley Kubrick. Uh, if you don't know Stanley Kubrick and you are a fan of film, you should invest in some of his work. At least type his name into a search like Roku or uh, iTunes or whatever, or Amazon, Netflix, and a whole series of his work will come out. I mean, he's got examples from 2001 A Space Odyssey, Clockwork Orange, Barry London. He even did Eyes Wide Shut with um, Cruise. One of my other favorites is Full Metal Jacket, Lolita. I mean, the list goes on and on. Um, Dr. Strangelove. Uh, he is he was a force to be reckoned with. For sure. Um, so he wrote this. He wrote this screenplay. This was a novel written by Stephen King. So we already know from saying that. If you're a bibliophile of sorts, you know, especially of horror, uh, you know who Stephen King is, who doesn't. 
creepy horror film horror legacy who has like a series of films made as well. Hell, and you know what? Speaking of Stephen King, I'm right. sorry. No, that's cool. My favorite of all of his books and my favorite of his books that turned into movies that he actually likes was um, Salem's Lot. Oh, Salem's Lot. About the vampire. Right, right, right. Brilliant. It yeah. still scares the hell out of me every time I see it when it comes on. It was a miniseries for television. They turned it into a miniseries of television and not a theatrical film. But it definitely could have been a theatrical film. It was one of the most scary things I've ever seen so in my life. And the book was frightening. And so it doesn't surprise me that The Shining right. would be as deep and as intense as it is. Well, he actually had an issue with The Shining. He yeah, didn't like because he didn't like he it. didn't like uh, Stanley's interpretation of it at all. Mm-hmm. And in fact, later on, they did remake it and put it on television as a television drama series. Oh, really? But it was a, It was just like a four parter, two parter, or something like that. And it was supposed to be more closely related to the to the, book. To the novel, right? Mm-hmm. Than anything else, I didn't like it. I preferred uh, Kubrick's version only because also Kubrick was essentially a cinematic genius. He put in so many elements of what makes cinema great, right? Um, that you you literally can't forget his films, yeah. even if you disliked him or didn't like parts of his films. I mean. This, I mean, this is various stories. For instance, right, this film stars Jack Nicholson, Shelley Duvall, Danny Lloyd, Scatman Carruthers, you know, uh, Philip Stone. It had a lot of people in it. And um, Shelley Duvall was young as well, was a young actress. And she was a little skittish. And so he would purposely, in order to auger this feeling of this skittish wife, nervous woman, right? Nervous wife. He would purposely not speak to her. This is very Hitchcockian, too. Because Hitchcock would do shit like that to his actresses as well. Because he just didn't believe in actors being an intricate part of the film. He thought they were as useful. They were tools. They were tools. They were Mm -hmm. as useful as a camera. So they were just another tool, not necessarily a person, per se, that needed to be... It, you know, taken care of. But anyway, so he purposely did not speak to her for the majority of the shooting as to make her very nervous. Because normally when you shoot a film, if you are the director, you are the actor's confidant. You check in with them regularly to see if they understand the role, where are they going, coming from with their emotions, how are they. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a close relationship when you work with an actor and a director together. Um, so purposely he didn't do it to to really freak her out and get her all scattered. And so it pulled off this great performance. Yeah, it's kind of a fucked up thing to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like Hitchcock did with Tippi Hedren and um and the Birds. Oh yeah, for sure. But you know, uh that know, that's movie legend. That's movie legends. And this is kind of what they did because they didn't give a shit. Right. They were just doing these movies to make them and really make them good. So anyway, uh, The Shining is about the Torrances. Uh, Jack and Wendy, they head off to the Overlook Hotel, which is an isolated hotel that is closed for the winter. And Jack is hired as a, uh, a caretaker for the winter. He brings his family up there only to find out there is some sort of evil presence that influences fathers into violence. Hmm. And we follow this whole story of like, Jack's bout with 
cabin fever or maybe not. Yeah. You know, the thing about this movie, and, and I still, every time I see it, I'm always a little, like, what happened to him? Was he was he losing his mind in the very beginning? Like, was he losing his mind in the beginning initially? Or did just being in this desolate he, I think it was place a, make I think it's sad? also a matter of opinion. And I think it's also, I think it's a bit, my personal opinion is I think it's a bit of both. Uh, he was fighting with writer's block. So he was already in this state. It right. seemed like he was almost in a state of depression that led to like yeah. catatonia, right? Yeah, he definitely he was, was in catatonic. A catatonic after a while, months. right? And so it allowed this presence into his mind because his mind was already weak, mm. um, essentially. Well, what was the presence in her mind? Because I feel like there was a presence in everybody's mind, including that little I just child. Felt, well, the, there was big room, big room. Like kid, what? Really? The kid was the kid was psychic. And they established that earlier on because Scatman Carruthers, who played Dick Holleran, mm-hmm. um, also had this gift and then expressed it, shared it with the kid. And I think this was the kid's way of expressing what his mind was telling him, what he could see. Right. And so he pretty much like put it within the form of his imaginary friend. So for me, uh, The Shining is one of my favorite films because... Uh, the scariest thing about The Shining is how it always plays with your perceptions. From room 20, 237 and its beautiful bathing guests to the playful twins. <laughs> and if you've seen this, you know what I'm talking about. And if you haven't, you're in for a surprise. And the ever playful and ever helpful Mr. Grady. Uh, for each time um, you've been led to believe the state of the scene, there is an inevitable twist that leads you to another resolution, another circumstance, another perception of what is actually happening. Thus, you are really going crazy with Jack. Right. Um, uh, Which which I like because it it really puts you in in the seat, in the soul of the character, thus further investing you into the film. Right. Well, I think that, you know, this film, it it stands out and still the tropes of this movie are still being used today because Mm. Ryan Murphy uses them all the time in in American Horror Story. Like Hotel. Hotel Hotel was was an homage. It It was was definitely an homage to The Shining. It was an homage to The Shining. There were just so many moments in there. The carpet alone, the lighting, it's just like... What? Right. It was such the hallways. A, the hallways. The elevators. There was there were so many moments in so many in, in that series in that were throwbacks series. to The Shining. Totally. And, and even the the isolation in oh. some cases of some of the characters when yes. they would go in their rooms. There there were just all those kinds of things that kind of right. stand out to me. Because look, remember the cop? Like if you saw Hotel, the cop was really Jack Nicholson and, right. and, and what was happening to he him. He was essentially Jack Nicholson. Yeah, and I think that that whole time I kept watching I was like, oh, I'm watching The Shining. Oh, dead ass. You know. Like from the very opening mm-hmm. scene when they have this really low um, steady cam shot all the way up to the lobby. Right. To the lobby. Like it, it went desk. through the lobby. It went through the lobby mm-hmm. and it was like, what? Look at the carpet. Mm-hmm. Is that the shine? Because the Shining's carpet is unmistakable. Once you see it, you'll never unsee that carpet. Right. And the bar scene, like with the with the bartender. The bar scene with, with, uh, with the bartender. Yeah. Just so it was another moments. intricate part. I mean, he had a brief scene, but he was he was pretty intricate. His name was Lloyd. So it's like I feel like the tropes of this film always exist in other films. Yeah. Passengers had this this 
all-knowing like uh bartender that was kind of creepy excuse me <coughs> um pardon me folks um it was even in what was the movie we just saw about the 80s the cartoon a cartoon <coughs> sorry uh steven spielberg oh ready set Player ready, player one, some whatever that, whatever ready that movie. Ready player was. one. Yeah, ready player one. That movie. Ready player one. There was a whole scene <clears throat> with The Shining. Remember? Yeah. The whole dance scene. Yeah. And they even replayed the whole blood. Yes. Scene that blood pouring down this hallway from the elevator. Mm -hmm. So it was a whole thing. They really yeah. just. And you know, um, it played upon that again too in the the remake of it, mm -hmm. the bathroom scene. That green bathroom that became all bloody and it became whatever, all bloody. It, it still it it jumps back. That like that's an homage basically to The Shining. Also, well, The Shining is Stephen King. Yeah, so, so it it always comes back to it. It always comes back. Um, and and then there was one other thing. I've I've seen it somewhere else too. But like I said, these these kinds of things because it's it's one of those legendary movies that filmmakers and, and, and cinephiles look at and they study. Because I know Ryan Murphy studied it. You know, it wasn't, a, just, it wasn't just, you know, why was this done? I'm sure he had a script. I'm sure he went back and did research as to, you know, lighting and camera angles and all these kinds of things. I know he did his 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 research on this because you could, it was just almost shot for shot in, in elements. And so he, because he's, he's a film fan also, he knows good work and... Anybody that's that knows anything about cinema knows Kubrick and, and what he can right. do. Well, not yeah, I was gonna say not only is he just a cinematic fan, he's just he he's not only is he a cinephile, he's just a fan of cinema. Right. And the way cinema is created. I mean, recently I re uh re rewatched Coven. Mm -hmm. Um, I was inspired to rewatch Coven. And just now seeing Coven, knowing the storyline, yeah. being able to watch everything separately, the way the entire, the entire season was shot with oblique angles. Mm -hmm. The entire, there wasn't one episode that didn't have oblique angles. It was just like, wow, you know, he had you from the jump. Yeah. So it was just like things like this that sort of augurs not only The Shining, but Kubrick's work as well. I mean, I think there are many other terrifying things in The Shining. There's the rattling, stabbing violins that play over these key moments, like um, using music to invoke fear, uh, when nothing horrifying is present. Like when it starts out, it starts out over this massive vista oh, yeah. of water and mountains, and then you slowly see a car uh, going along the mountainside uh, on its way someplace, and we find out that that's actually the Torrances. So, oh, okay. so it's this massive opening, which you, which, which is also one of his pieces, which is about composition, one of his elements, um, and you didn't even know. And why would a mountain and some fucking water be scary? But those fucking <laughs> violins scare the shit out of you. I know. This movie came out in 1980. I could not see it because I was way too young. I was a baby, but. The first time I ever saw it in a theater, I'd seen it previously as I got older. The first time I ever saw it in a theater, the opening scenes made me want to get the hell out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was like, damn, the movie just started and I really want to leave. Because it makes you uncomfortable. It, so it, uncomfortable. And, and I think part of it is because cause I've watched it over and over 
over and over several times in the last 10, 15 years. And I was like, wow, why does that? Because you just don't. And, right. and even when you know what's going to happen, you still feel like, well, something else. Right. It, There's it, something else. It was it was that way in none as well. You just felt this creepy eeriness about what was coming around the corner. Mm-hmm. And you couldn't help. Listen, I'm a punk all day. I love a horror movie, but I'm not ashamed to put some fingers up to my face. And hide hide those eyes. And hide those eyes and peek through my fingers because that's just what it is. And that's what you go there for. But, you know, there were also just like, uh, then there's Danny's uh, imaginary friend, Tony, who lives in his mind and speaks through his finger, basically, and speaks in these sort of whispered robotic tones, ultimately climaxing into the infamous Red Rum murder mantra, which you've already revealed. But, yeah. It's fine. Um. Yeah, there's just all these all these elements that just led to this creepiness. I mean, he had a thing with uh, composition that was really sort of uh, beautiful and genuine. Uh, he had a thing about mise-en-scene that were also really great, brilliant um, moments for him. Uh, Kubrick, I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also had, um, what did I say, composition... Uh, lighting was also a really big thing. I mean, if you think about it, it's just like uh, his 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 placement of figures was another big thing of like where he put people, and that sort of plays in with the mezzan scene as well. It's just it's these massive, you know, shots like the 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 uh, the symmetry of like the shot over the maze that existed at the over overlook hotel, just. Um, uh, Shelley Duvall hiding in a bathroom as the door is sort of broken down. Right, right. Like, you don't see the door, even though the door is in the foreground and she's in the background. You totally see her in her abject fear. Yeah, and her, and her eyes. Her and eyes. That whole, that panic in her face. Yeah, like the red the red and white bathroom where Jack gets cleaned up by Grady. Uh, just, just uh, there are other shots. I mentioned the shot about the massive vista of water and the mountain, surrounding mountains. Um, there, there were other scenes where like, uh, uh, what's his name? Dick Holleran is on the phone and he is looking for them. Uh, he can't quite reach them. He was their go-to and he was supposed to eventually like be able to reach them and he couldn't quite reach them on the line. And so it's just just shot of him. This could also be considered composition as well. Mm-hmm. But it was a combination. He's just standing at his bar in his room, in his house. And above his head, first of all, the whole scene is lit in this sort of like blue light that's supposed to mimic the moon. Right. And above his head are these sort of beams that rip across the ceiling, right? And then afterwards there's all these like the scene the screen is completely chopped up by the what's supposed to be uh blinds, light streaming through the blinds. And and there's a red phone. Notice the color red is yeah. everywhere. And so he's you know, he he's bald. He's a balding black guy, right? So he's this this light is just emanating off his head. And so it's like all these really beautiful things. It's like his house, he was like laying in bed watching television. These perfectly symmetrical like lamps on the other side of his TV. This this uh this sexual blue light Mm-hmm. Like uh, those those seventies blue light pictures with like mm-hmm. the naked black woman. Oh, like, from the black light. Right, black space. light, black mm-hmm. light. Right, right, right. It's over his television, and then you know the shot to his bed is the same exact shot. So if he's in the shot, 
fully and it's above his bed as well. I mean, there's a there's also a shot of um this massive party. Big photo of this massive party and at the overlook. Hmm. And then you zoom in, slowly the camera pulls in, slowly, 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 until it finally gets to the bottom of this one little guy, this figure, this guy at the very front of the party. Yeah. And it's Jack Torrance. It's just like there's so many elements at what happens, like uh, Danny riding in the hallway, you see on his big wheel, right? For those of you who are millennials, and don't know what a big wheel is. It was a toy. It was a big giant you toy. You used to ride on it with big wheels well, and It used to have a giant big wheel mm-hmm. in the front and you used to pedal it and you were really low to the ground. Yes. And you had the 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 the, the big the handlebars. handlebars were above you. So you rode it sort of like a, a Harley Davidson in a sense. Yeah, it looked like a like a like a child's a child's motorcycle. A basically. child's motorcycle basically. Those mm-hmm. things were awesome. I had one. Yeah. Um <laughs> fun times. Love them. And they had brakes. Brake on the side. <laughs> I did. Yeah, it was you pulled awesome. it up. So, because you would go too fast on those and kill yourself. Yeah, but, it was. So crazy. they have this whole scene where where Danny's like pedal, flying on this big wheel, right? And it's you see him, you see his point of view, and then you see him from behind. Wow. So his point of view and him from behind, and as he's pedaling, he's moving, he's moving. He rides past this one door. And the door is the only... Now, this place is deserted. Yeah. The door, the key is in the door, and the door is open. And so it's just it's like, the shot is beautiful because it's this, this square shot, this beautiful brown door with a, with, a, with a sort of brass handle, and then it's this slightly open door with this red key, with a key and a red tag hanging from it. And it's just... That's back when hotels had keys. Had keys. Not cards. That's true. Because the reference would be lost on you if you had no idea. This is why you need to watch these old films. Because you need to see, almost in a historical context. Like how life was for people. How life was for people. Without cell phones. They were using rotary phones in this Mm -hmm. movie. Yep. Rotary, not push buttons. No. You stuck your finger in a hole and you went to the number. Yep. That's how you made phone calls. So like it's it. like there was so, it was an actual phone, not a cell phone. No, a hardwire phone. So that was that was attached to a wall. It was attached to a wall so just and a know. giant, a giant set, like huge, massive set. So it was just like, um, it's it's definitely like a nostalgic, a nostalgic film because the 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 historical context about what was happening back then. In sort of in the eighties, it was made in the eighties, right? It was made in nineteen eighty. So when you look at it in terms of that, it's just like these oddly like shots of doorways and 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 photographs as sort of like portals to other worlds and other realities. And so Danny came upon this world, this other reality, when he mm-hmm. walked in to that old random open room. Right. By the way, real. For horror fans know the room 237 very well. That is the very room that no one wants to go into. Because 237 is where that bathe in beauty was. Right. You know, so it's just like, you know. Um, and, you know, when when Danny comes back, something horrible has happened. And, and Shelley Duvall, uh, Wendy in the film, is trying to explain to Jack what happened. He's just like, ah, whatever. He's like, ah, whatever, you know. Um... 
but it's also like, see, we're playing on your perception of what reality yeah. is supposed yeah. to be. And so then it, it, it just it just aligns I think with that's the, the theme in both them. of these movies because it oh, happened yeah. in Rosemary's Baby. It, it's definitely happened in The Shining. And it's interesting that I think that the 70s and the 80s were very big on that kind of feeling where well they had to you don't really know they didn't have co- they didn't have any special effects right but the thing is it was it was smarter in the way that you had to think about it so is the character really experiencing this yeah or is it the character's imagination are we as the viewer seeing what we're what we're supposed to be seeing right like there's a lot of elements that kind of layer on top of it right. because it's the fear within our minds that kind of motivates or the, we're motivated by what we see on the screen, right. but we, we are left to our own devices to think what this could mean. Right. You know what I mean? Because we, we might learn that it was all in the character's imagination. Exactly. But what, how we're thinking about it as we're the viewer, we're seeing it like it's all in real time and this is right. what they're experiencing. But we might even get, we might even learn later that it was all It was a all dream. in our head. It was but all it, a dream or it, all it, imagination. It's definitely a way that like 70s and 80s horror put you in this sort of POV position right. where you were always in the shoes of the victim. Right. And you and didn't really know what was going to happen. You didn't then. know what was going to happen. And that was the beauty of horror back then. Because now we're, it's the totally the opposite. We're, well, now we're, they tell you everything. We're in on it from the very beginning. You're in on it from the very beginning, which is not a new concept because Hitchcock was doing that. Right. And say, he like, just, rope. He just did it better. Let's say, like, rope. Yeah. He, he just did it, did it better. It better mm-hmm. Right? So, or, or Psycho. Right. But... You were in on it already. But he just did it better, like you said. But the thing is, is that now they give us everything. Yeah. You know, and not only that, they narrate it for us as well. I'm not fucking stupid. You don't have to show me what happened and then narrate it for me as well. Yeah. That just makes me dumber. <laughs> that doesn't make it smarter. It just makes it dumber. So in terms of like what the, the 70s and 80s were doing, is they were really just sort of like breaking it down in a sense that, they really made you earn your scare, right? You sort of were, you were along for the ride or you really had to figure out this whole mystery eventually. Mm-hmm. And, and really think about it. Yeah, and, but they it also it also leaves you, because look, we're talking about all this, this is what, 40 years later? Mm-hmm. If not more. So it's like you're thinking about it and talking about it and it's still, and even during that time, you know, this film wasn't really celebrated. It got like a lot of Razzie Awards for With, um, the Shelley. Yeah, the the Shining wasn't really celebrated because no. it got a Razzie Award nomination no, no. for Shelley Duvall's performance as yeah. worst actress, which is uh, ridiculous. Stanley Kubrick got a Razzie, you know, for being worst director because I think people thought during the time that it was overwrought because right. he just everything he did was always on a bigger bigger scale, right? You know, and um, for if you if you if you go back to you know. Right. Space Odyssey, 2001 Space Odyssey, that was massive. And, right. and people are still talking about that film today. Right. So it's just like when you really think about the, the thought behind, because he thought about every frame right. in every sequence, in every moment, which a good director does in the first place. So it's just like, and he would make it bigger and he would make it broader and he would make you have to think. Right. He would put elements in the room for you to see and not necessarily know how it relates back to something else, but you have to think about it. You know, it wasn't all like you said, given to you. It was never spoon given fed. To you. you know what I mean? So I think that that's that's the beauty of a director like him. And he died. He was actually part of that whole AI movie 
that was with Steven Spielberg, but he died before he died, it got and finished. Spielberg turned it into a Spielberg film. Yeah, it became a nightmare. I mean, he also did Eyes Wide Shut, right? Which was a little perception based, screwed too. But, yeah, I could. <laughs> but I, I think also what that. had to happen was like these filmmakers were working with very limited resources, or what they figured was massive, but in comparison today, limited resources. One, it was the 80s or the 70s. We weren't allowed to show blood, TNA. We weren't allowed to do all those things. And so, and that stuff in horror films didn't even show up until slasher flicks. And if you want to go a little further back, you can say like hammer flicks had a little bit of boost. They had like uh, uh, cleavage. I love a good hammer movie. And they had like like the vampires. I love a good hammer movie. I mean, parts of the hammer movies remind me of The Nun. Yeah, because I of love the a gothic etherealism, yeah. yeah. like right, that whole like atmosphere. And if you don't know what we're talking about when we're talking about Hammer movies, those are the movies that were all filmed in Hammer Studios, Hammer in, Studios. in London, England. Yes, they were all very, and, and you would have seen uh, Christopher Plummer, uh, Christopher Lee, uh, Cushing was in all of them too. Uh, Vincent Price was in a few, like all of those old school. Right actors from back in the day and they were brilliant brilliantly done usually it was some of them were a little b quality but yeah but 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 they were special and and and, you know one thing that my my school used to growing up in uh in the south we used to have movie days during during like halloween season right where they would show a a horror film to the school in the afternoon and it was the best thing because it was always one of those old school Hammer films from back in the day. And we would be all excited because it'd be like the Wolfman or a vampire right. thing. And it'd be like, oh, my God, here's uh, Peter Cushing and he's going to scare the shit out of us some kind of way. Brilliant. brilliant. Was- Christopher Lee was in most of them, too. Right. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. And, and beautifully shot. The, the sets were massive. There was all this there was a lot of red, right? Red Lots references. There red was a references. lot of red colors. Right. Um, there was uh, greens and like deep, rich color. So it always felt very gothic and like it the did. the blacks were super black. The reds were super red. There was the, when you saw blood, right. like it wasn't it wasn't gory, right. but it was done in a way that you were scared as hell. Right. You know what I mean, and you and you didn't even understand why, but it was these are just elements that were used. And you're right, they were they were definitely in. In some of the stuff in the nun, they were yeah. in some of the stuff in the nun, which made me think of it as well. I was just like, "What?" I mean, I mean, if you don't even, sometimes I think if people are not even thinking about it, it's within their subconscious, right? On right. a, excuse me, on a much lower level, they're not even thinking about what they're, how they have been influenced, right? By by a movie or by, a, a by series by of movies, a, a filmmaker, mm-hmm. and their perception of how things should be in terms of horror. And I would really like it if we could just turn the corner and and retro that shit back out. Right. Because, I mean, if I could think about it, there's been some movies that tried to do it. Because I think that's just how movies, horror movies should be. Mezzanin, let somebody walk down the hallway and, like, really kind of fuck it up. And then you just get all frightened and fearful about what is happening. And, like, oh, my God, what could happen next, you know? Yeah, Yeah, for sure. I think this has been great. This has been lots of fun. Well, I think it, you know we need, as the show we've thirty two episodes in now, and I right. think it's we have the time and the leverage to talk about some films that have inspired us, right? And kind of made us want to 
you know, talk about the, the genre even more. And this is a perfect opportunity to do that. Right. To figure out who we are and you know, what we're and doing. Alex isn't a big fan of, of horror films. But, and that's fine. You know, you did enjoy The Nun, right, Alex? I did. I did. It was, it was I mean, yeah, it was, a, it was a good film. It was scary. Yeah. It was scary. It, we gave, were... it gave you all the scares that by, you needed. By, by the end of it, I was a bit like, enough with the jump scares. Right? <laughs> the jump scares were a bit too much. Yeah. But that, just, that's, that's what on. made it fun. <laughs> that's what always makes it fun. So, you know, um, episode 33. Wow. Did we say Venom and A Star is Born? Yes. I think, I think that's best. We're gonna try and keep you like with good films and a little bit of, little bit of what's hot for, what's the, for the month. Mm-hmm. So it might be another horror coming down the pipe. So we'll see what's going on. But if you like this episode, please be sure to like, follow, and share on all our social media backgrounds. That's Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, and SoundCloud, where we host on the Beer Bourbon and the Movie. Don't forget to use the hashtag. That's hashtag BBM Podcast. And let us know what you think. If you want us to watch a particular film, uh, you just or have, drink a special beverage. Drink a special beverage. If you just have a comment, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. See you next time. This is beer, bourbon, and a movie. Oh yeah.